0: Again to Straight Talk, your internet podcast on political thoughts. I am Dean Flanagan, and joining me today is Gwen Cohn. She is running for the U.S. Congress from Arkansas District 2. Welcome, Gwen.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hi.
0: Well, it's really neat to have you on the show. What are your interests in running for Congress?
1: Well, I think that. It would be great for us to have a country where our government is of the people and for the people. I don't think we have that right now, and I want to change that.
0: Is there any particular reason why you think you'll make a better congressman than our current congressman?
1: I have some unique perspectives that I bring to the table. I am a licensed Public teacher. I'm still in the classroom continuing to work while I run for this office. I'm also an Air Force veteran and the only veteran running for this seat. And as well, I am a woman, the only woman running for the seat. And I think those perspectives can converge to bring a really valuable voice to a system of government that is very much not diverse. I think that we need to strive for diversity and that electing women is one element of that.
0: The issues that you, I guess, champion the most.
1: Yeah, being a woman and being a teacher in particular gives me insight into families that are dissimilar from mine. So rather than being living in an echo chamber where the people around me are people very similar to me, I have experiences teaching families in rural Arkansas, in suburban Arkansas, and in urban inner city, impoverished Arkansas, and it allows me to have a, a window on things that happen that don't happen in my world necessarily, in my individual world. It allows me to develop a greater compassion for people in general and to understand the struggles of people who are unlike me.
0: Okay. You're teaching in the...
1: I teach in the Little Rock School District. I teach at a school that is 96.8% impoverished.
0: I thought you were in a very diverse um, area of our state. Definitely would draw upon that window that you see through. In that group, where, where are the issues for the the left behind citizens
1: health care education employment violence the big the big topics
0: how do you think that the arkansas saw solution for health care is it working how can it be improved how should it be changed
1: well our medicaid expansion is has been, was in really good shape. It was a model for other states to employ, and the the talk of moving that eligibility level down to 100% of poverty instead of that higher inclusion um, is really detrimental, not only to the people who are impacted by losing their health care, but also to rural communities who have... Healthcare clinics, and small hospitals in rural communities simply because of the Medicaid funding that allows them to exist. So that we'll, the loss of Medicaid and Medicaid expansion funding will have a disproportionate impact on those communities as they lose funding for their medical facilities, as they lose jobs in their communities because of the... Facilities closing. As we've seen, it's already had an impact on UAMS, Mm -hmm. the layoffs that took place there. And that's in our heaviest population center. They've lost important people, but they can still continue to function. When cuts are made on smaller rural areas, Um, they just will cease to exist. And then that puts lives in jeopardy.
0: Have you heard any impact numbers or have any ideas of how many of the smaller institutions in your district would be affected if we just cut back Medicaid or they did away with the Affordable Care Act?
1: I don't know any good numbers on that, and I don't want to guess.
0: How would you want to bolster or improve upon the Affordable Care Act?
1: I think that our number one solution is to implement universal health care. Medicare for All has some really positive elements. It does leave, as written, it does leave behind people with disabilities. To improve Medicare for All so that it allows for people to receive long-term support services and community, uh, home and community-based services without the existing caps on income and assets those are the two details that make the current medicare system inequitable
0: what would be the pushback for the funding of universal health care
1: the when we talk about universal health care and we analyze what other countries are doing if we look at canada in particular Mm -hmm. um to make some comparisons the two Big bad wolves, so to speak, in the healthcare industry are insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies, and now we have an additional layer of the pharmacy benefit managers or the PBMs that are all of those factors add a layer of profit to a corporation between humans and the care that they need. So when we look at a universal healthcare system, we look at removing some of those layers, peeling that back, removing the profit, and putting people first, truly putting people first. In Canada, the cost per person per year for health care coverage for their universal health care is about $5,000 per person. That is because they cover everyone and they are able to lower the average cost per person. When you look at the cost per person in the United States for programs like Medicare and Medicaid, those costs here, because they're only insuring a smaller portion of people rather than the entire population, cost about $10,000 per person. So just by insuring more people, you decrease the average.
0: I assume is a delusional because Medicare Medicaid usually are – ensuring the older, the already disabled, the people who don't participate in pre- preventive care because of costs until they fall into the need. And that if we mm-hmm. included more, quote, able bodies, it would lower the cost just like a traditional insurance. Well, that's exactly. very interesting. And
1: also included in, included in those numbers are people who uh, are impoverished and therefore can't afford to eat right or they are working two and three jobs and don't have time to exercise.
0: If the United States was to label it as quickly move from traditional insurance to a universal health care, what would become of those employed by traditional health care administrative services? Let's put it that way. The pharmaceutical, the insurance, the managerial type of process. Have That's you ever a good heard? a
1: question, and I do have jobs at the forefront of my mind in every situation. And I don't think that when we shift a model that we necessarily eliminate jobs, which is shift the jobs to a different place. Maybe those pharmacy um, maybe people who are pharmaceutical salespeople or people who are working in insurance processing are still able to do similar jobs. They're just maybe doing it for a different entity where we're working together instead of working against one another and keeping people from accessing the care that they need.
0: I think that's very true. That's what we would see, you know, but that has come to mind and unfortunately would be a I guess you say argument for a you know one term type of transition. And I think sometimes wonder if that's what got the Affordable Care Act so negatively and viewed by so many. And I'll in the kind of tangent off health care mental health um across the United States and in the classroom and in the workplace, where do you think we're going to go with raising security? of our careers, of our children, of our retirement.
1: Well, I think that your segue by mentioning mental health is important to consider. Mental and behavioral health are both important facets of overall care for people. We have to recognize that there are issues. We need to work to eliminate the stigma that's associated with getting help for those issues, and we need to make it accessible to a person to receive the services that they need. That's the first step. I know my employer offers an employee benefit program or something where we can have a certain number of visits with a counselor per specific amount of time. And if a person needs more than that, I don't think that you can put an arbitrary number on that service. think that it's going to be okay. I know that as we talk about a universal health care program, it's important to think about transitioning to that. I think we can get there between 2021, 2022, but that it's important to take steps along the way. And anytime we do that, we need to cover more people. We need to lower costs, including the out-of-pocket um, premiums. We need to make sure that mental and behavioral health are first and foremost on our minds. Preserve Medicaid, preserve Medicaid expansion, provide gender specific care and we need to make sure that everyone has the same coverage regardless of age, income, gender or pre-existing conditions. So to set a line in the sand and say we need to cover mental and behavioral health is important. And I think it's an important and critical element of gun violence prevention. When we talk about the shooting that just occurred in Florida and others that take place, we have a background system, a background check system in place that is broken. There are too many loopholes. It's failure to include a mental health component is dangerous.
0: What do you think about gun control? With
1: the lack of continuity in reporting the spousal and child abuse, domestic violence situations with the Air Force veteran who Mm -hmm. was allowed to legally purchase a gun because his record didn't follow him.
0: Those sort of illnesses, they can come and go when it comes to their functionality. So if we go into salvage... Um, school security where do we stand with the gun control or um, as a veteran I know you have some degree of exposure to gun training
1: yeah as a a veteran I was in the Air Force I was trained on the M16 which is the military equivalent of the AR-15 basically It has a switch that allows it to go fully automatic versus semi-automatic. From my experience in firing that weapon, I can say with absolute certainty, there's no reason that any civilian needs to have an AR-15 or any other semi-automatic weapon. We don't need high-capacity magazines. We don't need bump stocks. We don't need any of that unless it is our intent to kill people. And I'm I'm not a gun enthusiast, but... There are guns in my home. My husband Mm -hmm. owns guns. My mother owns guns, and I'm not at all interested in taking away anybody's guns. I appreciate the people who hunt for their their food, and I appreciate the desire for people to want to preserve the Second Amendment. I'm not out to change that. I'm just out to make sure that we are keeping people safe, that we are putting lives first,
0: how do you think that we would rein in gun use to add layers of security into our society? Obviously, it sounds like you're not wanting paramilitary weapons. I guess, say high-capacity eclipse. Is there anything else that right. we should consider on the mo- way to keep a person wanting to make a mass, create a mass? Injury effect to limit their access.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really respect what Dick Sporting Sporting Goods did this week. They raised the um, age to purchase guns to 21, and I think that's an important thing. The human brain isn't fully developed until age 25. Why are mm-hmm. we letting 18-year-olds purchase semi-automatic weapons? It doesn't make any sense. I think that combined with eliminating the availability of semi-automatic weapons and high-capacity magazines, um, we close some loops as well in the background checks. We make sure that mental people who have da- dangerous mental health issues, people who have domestic violence issues are not allowed to purchase weapons. And I think we need to close the default proceed loop that allows someone to take possession of a gun within 72 hours, whether or not their background check has been completed. That background check can take up to 90 days. and We don't need to let anyone out of a store with a gun if they haven't completed and passed a background check. So refuse to take any NRA money. I believe that the NRA is... um, creating a system in which our government officials are unduly unduly impressed and have their opinions swayed and their actions swayed.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I agree wholeheartedly and obviously there are many different approaches to a gun control and to reduce our vulnerability to those that wish to cause great harm. Do you think adding guns into the classroom or into the school has any benefit?
1: No way. (laughs) I believe that when you um, talk about arming teachers, you risk putting children in crossfire and you complicate the response from SWAT teams in (laughs) an active shooter situation because then they don't know who's the good person and who's the bad person in that scenario. It's just guns are inherently dangerous. If gun ownership created a safety situation, insurance rates would go down for gun owners. But the inverse is actually true. When you own a gun, your insurance rates go up, and it's because they're inherently dangerous.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to talk about today?
1: I just wanna say that as a teacher, education is also important to me. We need universal pre-K to make sure that kids are coming into the classroom with the toolbox that they need to be successful in K-12 education. We need the best possible schools in every neighborhood regardless of where the school is located. And we need to make investments in our workforce in the form of making college accessible and debt-free, making trade and technical training available and debt-free options for our students. I also think that it's important to consider the financial security of singles, families, and seniors, that everybody deserves to have a living wage. We need $15 an hour tied to inflation. We need creation of jobs and The support of universal health care to allow people to flex in this gig economy that is growing across the United States. They're not tied to a job based on whether or not they can get health care there. And we need to make sure we are allowing our seniors to live with dignity by tying their social security to inflation as well, preserving Medicare and um keeping everything in, in place and tied to inflation until we can reach that point of universal health care.
0: Well, I agree. Right. And so
1: many of us are living paycheck to paycheck. I'm among those numbers mm-hmm. where there's not a nest egg in the bank, there's not a year or even three months where the bill's dashed away. We aren't able to save for a retirement. We're just working and working and working ourselves to the bone.
0: Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add to
1: this? Well, thank you so much for this. I think it's important to level the playing field a little bit and podcasts are a way that we can reach people.
0: That was Gwen Combs running for U.S. Congress Arkansas District 2. You can find more information about Gwen at combsforarkansas.com. She's on Facebook as Gwen Combs for Arkansas, and you can follow her on Twitter at Combs for Arkansas. Every time I hear the people cry, don't you know that the man is going to lie? I try to tell
1: them that they have a choice. People out there don't use that voice. Are you
0: Anxiety. all your yeah, all people don't